Hello, this is William Fink of Christagenia.org, and this is Christagenia Internet Radio. Today is Friday, June 28th, 2019. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Today we're going to present part 26 of our commentary on the Gospel of John, and that is titled the purpose of the shepherd. The Bible is not two different books. The most radical and correct meaning of the word Catholic is downhold. And the earliest church fathers, such as Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, and Tertullian, had used that word to describe the reception of the whole of the faith meaning the receiving of both Old and New Testaments, as opposed to the rejection of one or the other by the Jews or by sects such as the Marcionites. One cannot properly understand the gospel of Christ without first understanding the will of God, which was expressed in the words of his prophets. Neglecting, I'm sorry, neglecting the pericope of the woman caught in adultery, which clearly was not a part of John's original gospel. It is evident that on the last great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Yahshua Christ was teaching in the temple as John begins to describe the events of that day in chapter 7, in verse 37. I could hear the King James fanatics now screaming once again that I'm changing the Bible when I'm only purposely ignoring a late interpolation of somebody else who obviously changed the Bible. I'm not changing at all. So then, upon his having been confronted by his adversaries, we see Christ reveal their true nature in the lengthy exchange which he had with them, as it is recorded in John chapter 8. So upon departing from them, he is found outside of the temple, where he then healed a man who was blind from birth. This act led to another confrontation with those who were opposed to him, in which he declared, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see... Might which that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind, which they who do not see might see, and that which they who do see might be made blind. They which see not are the lost sheep of the house of Israel for whom he had come. They weren't there in Palestine. And they which see are the Judeans who witnessed his acts and had heard him speaking, but who nevertheless had rejected him. This statement from John chapter 9 verse 39 reveals the true significance of this event, where on this day he chose to heal such a man as he had said earlier in that same chapter, 
when he was asked by his own disciples why the man was born blind, that neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So it should be evident that the man's very life stood as a parable in order to provide a lesson to the children of Israel, that the purpose of Christ on the day wherein John's gospel records that he revealed the true nature and character of his enemies was to heal the children of Israel from their own collective blindness, as it is they who are identified in the word of God, which is in the prophets, as being blind. They which see not, for whom Christ had come, so that they might see. Standing in the assembly hall in Nazareth at the beginning of his ministry, as it is recorded in Luke chapter 4, Christ had read from Isaiah in relation to himself, from Isaiah chapter 61. And he announced that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Once one learns that his sheep are the children of Israel exclusively, and that his enemies are all children of the devil, that is how the blind can see. The wonderful acts which he had done, such as this healing of the man who was blind from birth, provided witnesses to his being that in turn had facilitated the spread of his word in the gospel and ensured that it would indeed reach the lost sheep for whom he had come. So within just a few centuries, they had nearly all become Christian, and the world would never be the same as Christ had also predicted. The inevitable truth of his words, such as where he said that I have come to spread fire on the earth. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world along with many other statements that he made, which came true after he himself had departed, should alone prove that he is God. This was fulfilled as the people who became known as Jews, those who hated him, did everything they could for over 300 years to prevent the spread of Christianity, and they could not stop it. So they sought to infiltrate and corrupt it from within, an endeavor at which they have been employed ever since Rome first relented and accepted the new creed. The official version of so-called Christianity, which developed in Rome and in Constantinople, was never free of these infiltrators. It was based on false doctrines, false ideas about Christianity, which they learned from the Jews, and it was never truly apostolic Christianity. Now here in John chapter 10, 
Christ also explains that phenomenon. We just won't get to it quite yet tonight. Maybe we will touch on it, but we will discuss it at length in our next presentation. If the children of Israel ever read and accepted the gospel of Christ, they would indeed be healed from their blindness. This is the purpose of the spread of the gospel, as it was described by Paul of Tarsus, where he said that Christ had told him, in part, in Acts chapter 26, that for this I have appeared to you, for you to be a chosen assistant and witness, both of the things you have seen by me and of the things I shall reveal to you, taking you out from among the people and from the nations to whom I send you, meaning that the people that he was taken out from and the people of those nations were actually the same people, to open their eyes, for which to turn them from darkness to light, and from the authority of the adversary, or Satan, to God, for them to receive a remission of sins, and a portion with those being sanctified by the faith which is in me. The true nature of that adversary was described by Christ earlier this same day, as it is recorded in John chapter 8. Here in John chapter 10, Christ will describe the sheep for whom he came. And they must be properly identified if they are to be cured of their blindness. Reading the prophets and the gospel, those being sanctified are only the lost sheep of the children of Israel. And they were the captives as they were sent off in punishment from the presence of Yahweh. Those nations to which Paul had been sent were the nations of the Israelites who were scattered in ancient times, as Paul himself had explained in his epistles. For example, in Romans chapter 4, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, or in Galatians chapter 4. This promise of sanctification for Israel is seen in Isaiah chapter 45, where it says, In Yahweh shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. But it is explicitly promised and connected to a new covenant in Ezekiel chapter 37. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, speaking to the children of Israel. Ezekiel is already in captivity. Most of the children of Israel are already in captivity. That's why Ezekiel is seeing his visions and writing his prophecies by the river Kabar, which was in Mesopotamia and not in Palestine. Ezekiel was in the Assyrian captivity. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yeah, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the nations shall know that I, Yahweh, do sanctify Israel, no Gentiles there, 
when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. There are no promises in the words of the prophets indicating that Yahweh intends to sanctify anyone but the children of Israel. If you're not one of them, you will never be sanctified by God. But in the Bible, only the children of Israel are referred to as the sheep of Yahweh's pasture, as we read in the 79th Psalm. So we thy people and sheep of thy pasture will give thee thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. That psalm was written by Asaph, who was a prophet of the captivity. That same Asaph had written in the 74th Psalm, O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why does thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt, referring to the people, not to the place. Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy has done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations. They set up their signs, their ensigns for signs. Because today's pastors have also failed, as they had in the past, the enemies of Christ once again roar in the midst of his congregations. Here in John chapter 10, Christ himself explains why. The shepherd king metaphor may be as old as writing itself, and it is found as early as the third millennium before Christ, over 2,000 years before Christ. In scripture, it first appears in Genesis chapter 49. It pervades the scripture from the time of David, who had employed it often. Statues of a shepherd bearing a sheep seem to have been common in Greece in the Hellenistic period. David had evidently written the 95th Psalm, as Paul indicates where he cited it in his epistle to the Hebrews, and it says in part, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before Yahweh, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. It is likely that David also wrote the 100th Psalm, which says, Know ye that Yahweh, He is God, and it is He that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. So we read in Jeremiah chapter 23, which was written perhaps around 400 years after the time of David. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith Yahweh. Therefore thus saith Yahweh, God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith Yahweh. The word for pastor means shepherd, as the leader of a flock in a pasture, 
and it was the rulers and priests of ancient Israel who had led the people astray, or who had driven them off by going astray themselves. So Jeremiah continues, And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase, and I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith Yahweh. So the children of Israel are promised better shepherds in the future, and to fear no more, as wolves eat sheep when the shepherds are not effective at guarding the flock. Goats compete with sheep, but goats are unworthy, as they were not called by God. Many of the ancient sheep of Israel were eaten when the Assyrians and Babylonians conquered Israel and Judah and took the survivors off into captivity. Now, as Jeremiah continues, we see that this is a messianic prophecy. Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, Yahshua Christ being the branch, and the word Nazareth actually having come from a Hebrew word that means branch, he was called the Nazarene, or the branch. And a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Of course, this is a twofold prophecy. Since Christ will not reign as king until he returns to destroy his enemies. So Jeremiah continues in that aspect. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called, The Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that they shall no more say, Yahweh lives, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But Yahweh lives, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. This is the purpose of the shepherd, and it is the only purpose which he himself had stated. In the end, the wolves and the goats will all be permanently separated from the sheep and cast into the lake of fire. This we await to this very day. Here we also see that the children of Israel were scattered in the north, relative to where Jeremiah was writing in Jerusalem. And it was to the north and to the places where those Israelites were scattered that the apostles had brought the gospel of Christ over 600 years after these words were written. Moreover, these words only apply to Israel and Judah, and it is an unjust folly when the denominational churches attempt to apply them to anybody else. Not quite a century later, Yahweh described the punishment of Israel on these same terms through the prophet Zechariah in chapter 11, where he said, There is a voice of the howling of the shepherds, for their glory is spoiled, a voice of the roaring of the young lions, 
for the pride of Jordan is spoiled. Thus saith Yahweh my God, Feed the flock of the slaughter, referring to the Israelites, who were being punished for their sins, whose possessors slay them, and hold themselves not guilty, and they that sell them say, Blessed be Yahweh, for I am rich, and their own shepherds pity them not. A little later in that same chapter, he announced the breaking of the Old Covenant, followed by a messianic prophecy relating to the New Covenant, concerning the price that he required in the 30 pieces of silver. So in Matthew chapter 25, Christ had explicitly pronounced his objectives, where he said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then, in light of these Old Testament passages indicating the identity of those sheep, it becomes apparent that this can only refer to those same ancient Israelites who had been scattered as it is described in Jeremiah, and also in Ezekiel chapter 34. So we read in Micah chapter 2, a promise of gathering, and the word of Yahweh says, I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Bozrah, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by the reason of the multitude of men. When the sheep were scattered, the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their seed would become many nations were fulfilled. Yet they were promised to be once again gathered. That gathering is in Christ, as Jeremiah had also explained. The beginning of that fulfillment is when Europe became known as Christendom. So after the profession of his purpose, that they which see not might see, and the answer of his adversaries, Yahshua Christ declares in a parable that he is the true shepherd and that he has come only for his own sheep, for people who must have been his sheep in the first place, but who had been entrusted to others, to hirelings and for that reason, they were being eaten by wolves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he not entering through the door into the pen of the sheep, but going up from another place, that man is a thief and a robber. Christ came through the door of the sheep, having been born of the seed of Abraham. And he was also heir to the throne of David. So he says, but he entering through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. As David wrote in the 23rd Psalm, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. But this indicates that there were men holding authority over the children of Israel who had not come to the door of the sheep. They were not of the seed of Israel, 
and therefore they were not legitimate rulers. After having After having rejected his sacrifice, Yahweh had challenged Cain by saying, as it is recorded, in Genesis chapter 4, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Remember that Christ said, a good tree cannot produce good fruit, cannot produce bad fruit, I'm sorry. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Sin lieth at the door. If Cain did not do well, it was because he was from a bad tree, because Adam and Eve were bad? No. It was because his very entry into the world was itself a sin, the door of his entry. Adam was not Cain's true father. But as the Apostle John had said, Cain was of that wicked one. So immediately after being challenged, he went and killed his brother. And his behavior was inevitable because he himself was a bastard. Likewise, earlier this same day, Christ had told his adversaries, whom he had explained were all the children of Cain, that first murderer, that if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. In other words, this Abraham did not do. Cain's sin was congenital, and he could not keep himself from it. And likewise, the sin of the enemies of Christ is congenital. They are not of Israel. So they did not enter through the door of the sheep, but had gotten in by another way. When they came in among the sheep, they could not help but to act as thieves and robbers. And of course, it is the devil who sowed the tares. So the high priests, as we have also explained, had been conducting their office as a criminal enterprise. The Apostle Jude informs us of the nature of the robbers, where he wrote in his short epistle, for there are certain men, crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, feeding themselves instead of feeding the flock, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Men who had crept in unawares, and who were ordained to condemnation in ancient times were certainly not Israelites. Only an Israelite could properly be a shepherd of Israel, and Christ was an Israelite, born of the house of David, and the proper heir to the throne of David according to the law. 
the high priests of his time were wolves, Edomites, who usurped the office under appointment of the Skeons of the Edomite Herod. They were not true children of Abraham, but they were bastards, children of fornication, and therefore they wanted to kill him who was the legitimate ruler. Of course, this was all foreseen in the word of God. For example, Christ said in the parable of the husbandman, as it is recorded in Matthew chapter 21. Here another parable. There was a certain householder who planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen, those husbandmen being the rulers of Judea, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did to them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Centuries before that, in a messianic prophecy in Zechariah chapter 13, which was later cited by the apostles in reference to Christ, and one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. The house truly belonging to the Judahites of Palestine, but usurped by the Edomites. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith Yahweh of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. Christ continues the analogy in reference to himself. For him, in John chapter 10, verse 3, for him the doorman opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. The temple in Jerusalem had Levites, who were assigned to be doormen at the outside doors and at the entrance into the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum where the Ark of the Covenant was originally kept. It wasn't there in the Second Temple period. It is written in the 84th Psalm, For a day in my courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Ostensibly, the doorman would prohibit anyone who did not belong from entering, so that thieves and robbers would not be able to get into the sheepfold through the door. In the case of Christ, the doorman must have been John the Baptist, who proclaimed for him to be the Messiah. The analogy continues. When all of his own go out, 
He goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Yet they shall not follow another or a stranger. The Greek word is alotrius. But flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers or others. The same word, alotrius. A livestock website at the University of Illinois explains that sheep naturally move towards and follow other sheep or a human that they are accustomed to who is perceived to be a friend. While they naturally move away or even run from other animals or unrecognized humans. Often dogs are used by shepherds to control the sheep. But the sheep naturally see the dogs as enemies. The shepherd directs the dog to a place that he wants the sheep to move away from. And the dog is trained to do that. So the dogs would not go into the fold with the sheep. Dogs are only used in the pasture when they are trained to help control them. Now from that, another analogy may be drawn comparing the people of God to the dogs which encompass them today. Now John concludes, I'll leave it at that. Yahshua spoke this parable to them, but they did not know what these things were which he spoke to them. They could not know, they could not know what he was saying to them. As he tells them later, because they were not his sheep. Only a small percentage of the people in Judea were actually his sheep, as we have already explained that many of them were Edomites and Canaanites who had been forcibly converted to and ultimately had accepted Judaism over the 160 or so years before the time of the ministry of Christ. And from that time, they were all race-mixing together. As we see, even Flavius Josephus, his daughter married an Edomite. And as we see the family of Herod, when they weren't marrying each other, had usually married white women. There is a lengthy prophecy concerning the so-called lost sheep in Ezekiel chapter 34. And Ezekiel was writing at a time not long before the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 1. And the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, Son of man, Prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy and say unto them, Thus saith Yahweh God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Men who are shepherds, pastors, ministers, priests, politicians, politicians, office holders are performing or functioning as shepherds. Men who are shepherds often care more for feeding themselves rather than feeding the flocks. As Paul had also professed in Philippians chapter 3, 
for many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, and who mind earthly things. As we shall see, citing Isaiah chapter 56, in comparison when we discuss later parts of John chapter 10. I thought I would get to it for this week, and it just wasn't happening. As we shall see, citing Isaiah chapter 66, when we discuss the later portion of John chapter 10, in comparison with our present day, even shepherds professing Christ act as his enemies, feeding their own bellies rather than caring for his sheep. Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 3 You eat the fat and you clothe you you clothe yourself with the wool you kill them that are fed must be referring to pedophile priests but you feed not the flock the diseased have you not strengthened neither have you healed that which was sick neither have you bound up that which was broken neither have you brought again that which was driven away Neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. The sins of the rulers of ancient Israel are recounted frequently throughout the books of the prophets and are not possible to recount here. So Ezekiel's brief description must suffice. Many of them acted just as wickedly as these first-century Edomites were acting under the family of Herod and the Romans. So the result was their scattering, the scattering of the sheep. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains, wandered past tents in Ezekiel's time. And upon every high hill, yeah, my flock was scattered, past tense in Ezekiel's time, upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. These scattering of the children of Israel actually began before the Exodus. A Greek historian who wrote almost a hundred years before the ministry of Christ, Diodorus Siculus was citing an even earlier historian, Hecatahius of Abdera, who was a Greek historian and skeptic philosopher of the 4th century BC where he gave a strange account of the Exodus from an ostensibly Egyptian viewpoint. And he said that the aliens, meaning the Hebrews, were driven from the country, meaning Egypt. And the most outstanding and active among them banded together and, as some say, were cast ashore in Greece and certain other regions. Their leaders were notable men, chief among them being Danos and Cadmus. But the greater number were driven into what is now called Judea. The colony was headed 
by a man called Moses, outstanding both for his wisdom and for his courage, and by all of the classical Greek accounts. Cadmus was a Phoenician, related to Europa and Heracles, Europa for whom Europe is, is named. Danos is the eponymous father of the Danans, who had come to Greece from Egypt. Danos and Cadmus were credited by the Greeks with bringing arts and letters to the to Greece when they came. Further historic evidence may be cited that many of the Israelites had departed for other places in and beyond Europe throughout the seven or eight centuries from the conquest of Canaan to the Assyrian and Babylonian deportations. In those migrations, they settled much of Anatolia, the coasts of southern Europe, the Danube River Valley, the Black Sea Basin, the rivers and valleys of Iberia and France, the British Isles, and the coasts of Scandinavia. They are called Proto-Celts and Phoenicians, among other names. Ezekiel must have known about these migrations. For that reason, while the men of war from among the children of Israel had numbered 600,000 in the days of Moses, only eight generations from the time when Jacob had gone down to Egypt. 400 years after Moses, in the time of David, they were little more than twice that number, which is apparent in 2 Samuel chapter 24. And actually, that's probably a space of about 450 years. But Ezekiel himself was a prophet of the Assyrian captivity, having opened his book with the words, As I was among the captives by the river of Kabar. And he himself had observed what was becoming of the many tens of thousands of Israelites who were taken into that captivity. Of these, Flavius Josephus had later written in Antiquities Book 11 that there are but two tribes in Asia and Europe subject to the Romans, while the ten tribes are beyond Euphrates until now and are an immense multitude and not to be estimated by numbers. From these, the Germanic tribes had emerged. Of course, of all those still practicing the religion of the ancient Israelites, only the people descended from the remnant of those who returned from Babylon, who were principally of Judah and Benjamin, had returned and became known as Judeans. Evidently, Josephus was not counting Levi a tribe scattered among all the others. Josephus did not consider all of the earlier migrations of Israelites into Europe, and not being a student of the classics, as Paul was, he may well have been ignorant of them. The word of Yahweh in Ezekiel continues, 
and that digression explained how my sheep have wandered over every mountain. The word of Yahweh in Ezekiel continues in verse 7. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. As I live, saith Yahweh God. Surely, because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd. Neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus saith Yahweh God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand, and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be meat for them. The Levitical priesthood, who were the shepherds of old, had its end in Christ. And for most of the children of Israel, even long before that time, as we read in Hosea chapter 3, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice, which they would need a priest for, and without an image and without an ephod and without teraphim, which they would need a priest for. Then there is a messianic prophecy. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek Yahweh their God and David their king and shall fear Yahweh and his goodness in the later days. So their only resolution is Christ, the prophetic fulfillment of David their king. The heirs of Jeconiah, who were rightful rulers of Judah, were also cut off in the Babylonian captivity as they were told that they would no longer sit as kings. Now, in a messianic prophecy, as Ezekiel continues, we see the purpose of the Christ, the purpose of the shepherd. For thus saith Yahweh God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep, because the priests didn't do it, and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my shop, my sheep, and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from among the people. I think I was trying to combine, combine sheep and flock there at the same time. And I will bring them out from among the people and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be and there shall they lie in a good field, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith Yahweh God. I will seek that which was lost, and bring again that which was driven away, and I will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. 
but I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. So if Yahshua Christ had professed that I come but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and if it was the purpose of Yahweh that announcing a Messiah, that he would search out his own sheep that were scattered to gather them and nobody else, then how could anyone other than the children of Israel ever be counted as Christians? That is absolutely contrary to his will. It is blasphemy, and it causes the sheep to be scattered. It is a doctrine of devils. The mountains of Israel are not in Palestine, but instead, since Abraham was to inherit the nations, they are the mountains wherever the Israelites happen to be. As it is also expressed in the word of Yahweh, in Isaiah chapter 27, that he shall cause them that come out of Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. The prophecy in 2 Samuel 7.10 that the children of Israel would one day be in another place was also fulfilled in this process. So the mountains of Israel are not in Palestine. Now as Ezekiel continues, there is a promise that the sheep will be separated from the goats. And as for you, O my flock, thus saith Yahweh God, Behold, I judge between cattle and cattle, between the rams and the he-goats. Then, evidently addressing both the rams, who are the fat, who are the powerful of the sheep, the wealthy and powerful, that's what's meant there by fat, addressing the rams as well as the goats, seemeth it a small thing unto you to have eaten up the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pastures? In other words, it's not enough to eat them up. They have to tread down what's left. And you have drunk of the deep waters, but you must foul the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, in other words, they didn't even leave the least of the land for the rest of the flock that they didn't eat. And as for my flock, they eat that which you have trodden with your feet, and they drink that which you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus saith Yahweh God unto them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean cattle. Because you have thrust with side and with shoulder, and pushed all the diseased with your horns, till you have scattered them abroad. Therefore will I save my flock, and they shall no more be a prey, and I will judge between cattle and cattle, and I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David, meaning becoming Christ, as David was a type for Christ. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd, and I, Yahweh, will be their God. 
and my servant David, a prince among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken it. This is the entire purpose of the gospel of Christ, to reconcile the lost sheep of the children of Israel. And Paul often referred to his own ministry as the ministry of that same reconciliation. So he brought his gospel to those people and places where he knew that the lost sheep were at his time, to the Dorian and Macedonian Greeks, to the Romans, and to the Germanic Galatahi. He also hoped to bring it to Iberia and points beyond, but he did not live long enough to do that, so others did it for him. This is the purpose of the shepherd. So Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If his purpose was not accurately described in his prophets, then he has no purpose. But he, being God, the purpose described in the prophets has not changed, because he has also said in Malachi, For I am Yahweh, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers you are gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, he's calling the sheep, and I will return unto you saith Yahweh of hosts. But you said, Wherein shall we return? Yet they shall return in Christ, as he has also promised. So Paul continued in Romans and said, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. And in Amos chapter 3, we read, Hear this word that Yahweh has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together, except they be agreed? Yahweh knew only Israel, and in Christ all Israel shall agree. Then Paul continues in Romans and says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So in Isaiah chapter 45 we read, in Yahweh shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Those promises are made to no one else but Israel, and they shall only be fulfilled in Israel, in the same Israel that was scattered in ancient times. There's nothing in the prophets about Israel being replaced. There is everything in the prophets about those same Israelites who were scattered, those same Israelites being reconciled 
to Yahweh God in Christ. Replacement theology is as old, is at least as old as Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr, who wrote about 160 AD, taught replacement theology. But the Judeans had hated Paul of Tarsus and rejected all of his writings, everything that he said. Paul was the minister of the gospel to the nations, to the scattered nations of Israel. The Judeans rejecting him did not understand that Paul was bringing the gospel to where the lost sheep were scattered. And they hated him, so they did not teach him in subsequent generations. And Justin Martyr, being a Samaritan and learning Christianity from those same Judeans, never knew Paul of Tarsus, never quoted him, never mentioned him in his writings, never expressed anything which could have come directly from Paul and never taught what Paul taught. He taught replacement theology because that's what the Judaizers in Jerusalem were teaching by the time that real Christianity was persecuted out of existence. And when the later Catholic Church was formed, it was formed based on the teachings of those Judaizers and not on the teachings of Paul. They didn't understand all of the classical history that was required to understand Paul. The express purpose of the shepherd is to regather the Israelites that were scattered in ancient times. So Paul wrote in Ephesians, speaking of Christ, in whom we also, meaning himself and the Ephesians, have obtained an inheritance being preordained according to the purpose of he who accomplishes all things in accordance with the design of his will. The design of his will is in the words of his prophets, and therefore the entire purpose of the shepherd is found in Ezekiel chapter 34. We cannot add to that. We cannot mix in niggers and Chinamen and squat monsters. They are not Israelites. They were not scattered sheep. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on John chapter 10, cited Ezekiel chapter 34 several times, but never in its full context. I was just a little curious at lunchtime today, so I did a little reading. To his credit, Henry said, The church of God in the world is a sheepfold, into which the children of God that were scattered abroad are gathered together. Although he did not identify who he counted for the children of God or when they were scattered. He does that in his commentary on John chapter 11 verse 52, which he cites where he discusses John chapter 10 and where he says in relation to all people everywhere, no matter their origins, 
Now Christ died to incorporate these in one great society to be denominated from him and governed by him. And that is a lie. It's a major lie. Christ died for the sins of the children of Israel in order to reconcile them to the God from whom they had been alienated. And as Yahweh himself said in Amos, he only knew the children of Israel. That is how God accounts, how God himself accounts his children. And Christ said that he came but unto the lost, already lost, sheep of the house of Israel, of the house or family of Israel. He accounts them for his sheep. He came for sheep that were already lost, which are those who were described in Ezekiel chapter 34. Contrary to Matthew Henry's universalist interpretation, which was made in the 17th century. Here in Ezekiel, we see that the scattered sheep are the ancient children of Israel and nobody else. And it is only they whom Yahweh intends to gather in Christ. There is nothing of gathering anyone but the scattered children of Israel and nothing of David their king ruling over anyone but them alone. He shall rule all nations, but all the nations that he shall rule shall come from them as Israel is to fill the face of the world with fruit, as Yahweh had said in Isaiah chapter 27, which we have already cited. One cannot understand the ministry of Christ as it is described in John chapter 10 without also understanding the purpose of that ministry as it is described in Ezekiel chapter 34. And one cannot properly understand Ezekiel chapter 34 without understanding the identity of the scattered sheep, which is the entire purpose of our Christian identity profession. It was also the purpose of the ministry of Paul of Tarsus. In the end, all of the sheep shall be saved, but all of the goats shall go into the lake of fire. Although that is not described until Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. And in the parable of the sheep and the goats, related by Christ himself in Matthew chapter 25. Now Christ resumes his declaration. Therefore, Yahshua spoke again. Truly, truly, I say to you that I am the door of the sheep. Not only did Yahshua enter in through the door, but he is the door. Yahshua Christ, being Yahweh God incarnate, is indeed the door of the sheep. That's how I understand the door to be the creation of the Adamic man and the chain of descendants when you come in from the, from the door of the sheep, you're born of Adamic parents. He is the door. And he is the door only for the sheep. Of all peoples, the Adamic race is the only race which Yahweh took credit for creating. And of these, he spoke explicitly of the people of Israel in Isaiah chapter 43. But now, thus saith 
Yahweh that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Yahshua Christ is that Redeemer. So Christ had said in John chapter 3, that unless a man should be born from above, he is not able to see the kingdom of Yahweh. Of all the Adamic nations which he created, Yahweh made a new creation in Israel and gave them alone the law and the covenants. So speaking of that creation of the children of Israel, in relation to the events of Sinai, and the giving of the law. Solomon, in his wisdom, in chapter 19, wrote much like Isaiah had, and said, For the whole creation, in his proper kind, was fashioned again from above, serving the peculiar commandments that were given unto them, that thy children might be kept without hurt. The children of Israel being those children, the sheep of his pasture, and he is their door. They are the only people in the Old Testament whom he admitted were his children. Although in Luke and in Paul, we learn that Adam was also the son of God, and all the other descendants of Adam are the children of God, which is fine. In the Old Testament, he only claimed the children of Israel as his children. Later, Paul, comparing Christ to the ancient high priests of Israel, said for that same reason in Hebrews chapter 10, that having liberty into the entrance of the holy places in the blood of Yahshua, by a new and living way through the veil which he has consecrated for us, that is, of his flesh. That is how Yahshua Christ is the door of the sheep. His sacrifice gave them reconciliation with God, and he himself is God. So they were the door. He was the door when they came out onto the pasture, and he is the door when they enter back into the sheepfold. He himself is God, so he also gave them life in the first place. For those same reasons, the city of God described in Revelation chapter 12 has inscribed on its gates the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, and ostensibly one does not enter in unless he is of one of those tribes. Now Christ continues in verse 8 of John chapter 10. All, as many as have come before me. Now some valid manuscripts, some very old manuscripts want those words before me. Among them, the 3rd century papyrus P45, the 3rd century papyrus P75, and the 4th century Codex Sinaiticus. But the words before me do exist in equally old manuscripts. The 3rd century Papyrus P66, 
and the 4th century Codex Vaticanus and the Codex Washingtonensis, which I usually state is from the 5th century, but some scholars believe it was from the 4th. And also the 5th century codices Alexandrinus and Veze. They have those words before me. But those other manuscripts, which are at least as old, if not older, want the words. But I included them. All as many as have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Perhaps if we interpret this in the most general sense possible, all men leading a flock have by necessity also needed to live off of the flock. So in essence, all leaders are thieves and robbers when compared to God, because Yahweh created all things. All things are his, and only he can lead the flock without depriving it. Historically, the sheep have gone astray from every man who ever tried to lead them. Even from godly men such as Joshua and David, although some had managed to keep their flocks longer than others. But here Christ is referring to thieves and robbers who did not come in by the door but who had come another way. This cannot describe the children of Israel and the ancient rulers and Levites among them who were appointed by God, and therefore the sense may be more immediate. It may refer to his own lifetime and to those who were ruling Judea up to the time of his ministry, and maybe even to those who had claimed to be saviors in Israel up to that time, as there were many who thought to attempt to free Judea from the Romans, to act as messiahs. If the sense is more immediate, which I certainly believe it is, it is evident that there were many disaffected people in Judea who had no political power, Josephus describes the sect of the Essenes, which must have been numerous, but which was disaffected politically. As I have explained elsewhere in other contexts, when there was no synagogue, the people of Israel were accustomed to gathering by the rivers to pray on the Sabbaths. This custom is evident in Ezekiel chapter 1. And it is evident in Acts chapter 16, where there was no synagogue in Philippi at the time, and Luke wrote that on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside to pray. So ostensibly, at the time of Christ, the sheep in Judea, at least many of the people who were truly Israelites, were so disaffected so as not to attend the synagogues, and instead they gathered at the rivers on the Sabbaths. For that same reason, the baptism of John was successful as he had encountered many Israelites who had neglected the synagogues and were accustomed to gathering by the rivers. So Judea was ruled by thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. 
those Israelites who had joined themselves to the robbers should be likened to Ezekiel's rams, who were in league with the goats who sought to fleece the sheep. Christ continues, I am the door. If one should enter by me, he shall be preserved, and shall enter in, and shall go out, and he shall find pasture. The most significant lesson in history is that only God can rule over man, and Christ is God. Wherever men rule over men, in the end, there will only be injustice and tyranny. The children of Israel had sinned when they demanded an earthly ruler, as it is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Samuel was the judge of the people, as Yahweh God had ordained, but his sons were corrupt. And evidently the people did not trust God to ensure that they would have righteous judges. So we read, Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together, and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto Yahweh. And Yahweh said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Ultimately, the people were led astray by their kings, and upon their being taken into captivity for their punishment, Yahweh had announced in Isaiah, I am Yahweh, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. So ultimately, in Christ, Yahweh shall once again be King. Where it says, I am the door. All things were made through Christ, as Paul of Tarsus also said in Hebrews chapter 1, speaking of the Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all, through whom he also made the ages. Yahshua Christ, being the Word made flesh, is indeed Yahweh incarnate, the Word which had said in the beginning, Let there be, and whatever he had said had come to be. So, if one should enter by me, that one is an element of his creation. But as Paul also wrote in Hebrews chapter 12, one is either a son or a bastard. The creation was corrupted at an early time. And therefore the law of Yahweh states that a bastard shall not enter into the congregation of Yahweh. Ostensibly, because a bastard could not have entered into existence by him. He did not create bastards. His enemies, being of the corrupted seed of Esau, as he had explained to them in John chapter 8, were bastards who could not enter by him. The thief Christ continuing in verse 10. The thief does not come 
except that he may steal and slaughter or destroy and destroy i'm sorry i have come in order that they would have life and they would have abundance and here we have translated a word paresis as abundance which is technically an adjective which should be abundantly my rendering is not extraordinary as liddell and scott in their immediate edition of their lexicon give an example from the writings of xenophon that the phrase periton ekine was used to mean to have a surplus so the adjective perisus was translated as surplus as a noun there there are other contexts where the word appears that are cited by the large ninth edition of liddell and scott where the word is translated as a noun christ is clearly speaking of an abundance of life and not of material goods but if i knew at the time how certain proponents of the so-called prosperity gospel could abuse this clause perhaps i would have rendered it differently it is apparent in the ancient history of israel that men who ruled as kings very often did so for their own power and power and glory but here christ is speaking of men who did not come in by the door and therefore they were not of the kings or rulers ordained by god they were impostors who were not israelites the family of herod who ruled judea from about 40 bc to its end were edomites and not israelites and they appointed their own usually from um, from among the sadducees which was the party of the wealthy to fill the positions of high priest and other offices in the temple as we have also already discussed they were all thieves and robbers they operated their office as a criminal enterprise moving on to john chapter 10 verse 11 i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life on behalf of the sheep that word life there is suke or soul as opposed to spirit or pneuma it's often translated life as it should be in the christogenian new testament the denominational churches love to quote from the first epistle of john ignoring its context where it says of christ and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only but also for the sins of the whole world but only the children of israel were given the law as david wrote in the 147th psalm speaking of yahweh that he shows his word unto jacob his statutes and his judgments unto israel he has not dealt so with any nation and as for his judgments they have not known them praise ye yahweh 
David praised God that only Israel had the law. And Paul later said in his epistle to the Romans that until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So the only valid conclusion could be that only those same children of Israel could even be held liable for sin. Paul, writing to the Galatians, who were also descended from the ancient Israelites, said in Galatians chapter 3, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. <clears throat> but after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So if one was not under the law, as the ancient Israelites had been, then one did not have a schoolmaster and could not come to Christ. So Paul continued in Galatians chapter 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. He laid down his life for the sheep, for the ancient Israelites, not for goats, dogs, and pigs. If you're born a goat, you can't believe Jesus and become a sheep. He laid down his life for the sheep that were already lost, those sheep that were lamented, that Yahweh promised to gather in Christ, in Ezekiel chapter 34. In Romans chapter 9, Paul had prayed for his kinsmen in Judea, for those who were truly Israelites, describing them as my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertains the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of the promises. Whose are the fathers? And of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Now that's the King James Version, and I translate that a little differently, but here it's immaterial. The point being that this passage helps to define the adoption that Paul mentioned in Galatians. So you cannot define it any way that you want. The adoption pertains to Israel and to nobody else. Those who are Israelites, and not all in Israel are of Israel, whether they believed or not. Paul was only concerned for the Israelites who were his kinsmen according to the flesh. Those are the Israelites. Because Paul wasn't a Jew. He wasn't an Edomite. So here Paul continues to acknowledge that all of these things were still only for the children of Israel. Over 24 years after Christ had died and was resurrected. That's when Romans was written. But the scriptures cannot be reconciled until the world which Christ came to save is properly 
understood and distinguished from the world which is corrupted, as John also wrote in that same epistle. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. That world, James tells Christians, that they must despise. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. How could Christians hate what Jesus came to save? Because the world he came to save is not the world which lieth in wickedness. The world which Christ came to save is described in the wisdom of Solomon, where he wrote concerning the garment of the high priest and the breastplate adorned with the stones that represented the twelve tribes of Israel. And he said, For in the long garment was the whole world, and in the four rows of the stones was the glory of the Father's graven, and thy majesty upon the diadem of his head. Those same stones represent the population of the city of God as, as it is described in the closing chapters of the Revelation. And that is the purpose of the shepherd, to regather his people to populate that city because they are the sheep for whom he laid down his life and nobody else. Paul of Tarsus in Romans chapter 7 described why Christ had to die for the sheep. Know ye not, brethren, I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband is dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another. So they had to be, these Romans had been married to Yahweh in the first place, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And the Romans certainly were children of Israel. The children of Israel, having sinned, were sheep scattered by Yahweh their God as punishment for their sin. Their sin was worthy of death, but he chose to die in their place in order to free them of the law of the husband so that he could redeem them from death. So we read in Hosea a promise of reconciliation. Speaking to the children of Israel, and I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yeah, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know Yahweh. Thus Paul described the remedy which Yahweh had for Israel and how he could retain his people while also keeping his own law. The survival of the children of Israel and the fulfillment of the promises to, the, to their fathers is the only purpose of the shepherd, as Yahweh had said when he first promised a new covenant, as it is recorded in Jeremiah chapter 31. Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, 
that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith Yahweh. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith Yahweh. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. A little further on is a promise that Israel will always be a nation before him, not a church, a nation. That Israel will be a nation as long as there is a sun and a moon. So Israel is not a church. A nation is a collection of people with a common birth origin, of a common race. That nation is now, through other prophecies, many nations, but it's still a nation. They being the only people whom God has known. In reality, there are no other people worth considering, as a good shepherd is truly only concerned with his own sheep, and all other beasts are viewed as possible threats to those sheep. We will continue the discourse of Christ, describing himself as the Good Shepherd, in the next portion of, this, of these presentations. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and good night.